Welcome to Insightful Essence, the podcast that uses self-awareness from a neurological perspective. By learning the biological components of our mood, relationship problems, emotion management, and other things, we remove judgment and replace it with empowerment. I am your host, Rosalind Perez, mental health counselor and life coach. Let's get ready to rise above survival. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Insightful Essence. And today we have a special guest, and she's going to talk about how to free yourself from diet culture. She is an integrative nutrition expert, sought-after speaker, specializing in the gut-brain connection, and consultant to healthcare providers and business owners. Her insights have been featured in multiple national media outlets, leveraging her experience over the last decade in nutrition and health space. She's on a mission to empower individuals to advocate for and own their health and food decisions so that they can amplify their vitality and impact in life. Please help me welcome health consultant, educator, fermentista, and author, Leslie Bach. It's a pleasure to have you here with us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be here. Good, good. I can't wait to get this conversation started. Uh, started. There's so much that is connected when it comes to our health, our psychological health and food. And I definitely can't wait to hear about the work that you do, what got you into this. But something that I always start saying to my clients whenever they come to me is two things. How are you sleeping and how are you eating? Because these are things that I can compete with as a counselor, as a mindset coach, you want to make sure that you're eating healthy and sleeping well. So, and what are your thoughts? Tell me a little bit more about the work that you do and how do you see health reflected in people's lifestyles and health? Um, I, first of all, I think that that's great. I'm so glad that you said that and that you approach your clients that way. I think that a lot of people don't understand quite how that works, how sleep and food affects the way that their brain works. You know, people are the here to be healthy. You need to sleep, you know, to be healthy, you need to eat right. But there's, there are mechanisms in place, which obviously you understand, but I'm not sure that, that most people do when I go on podcasts and I talk about gut health, people don't really know what that means. They're like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm so glad you're here. I, I hear about that, but I don't really know what it means when I think about it. And so I know that we wanted to talk a a little bit about, or we wanted to talk more today about um, some of the like inner stuff, but I do just want to point out um, the mechanisms between what you eat and how your mental health is functioning are so strong that it cannot be under, like it can't be overstated. Um, There are actual things going on in your gut that are producing your neurochemicals and um, so explaining this, uh, you you seem to understand it, but explaining it for your listeners in case they hadn't ever been introduced to this before. But a lot of the chemical signaling that happens between your your brain cells that create your thoughts and your emotions are are initiated in your gut. They they start in your gut, and then that kind of goes to your brain. So when you have expressions like gut feeling, butterflies in your stomach and things like that, those are actual, like they came from somewhere. There's a direct pathway between your gut and your brain and they talk to each other all the time. So you mentioned something actually in one of your recent podcast episodes about how 
your brain is here to keep you alive. And if it experiences sensations, it tries to attach them to something. And that's how I explain the gut's connection to anxiety to people a lot, because there are physical things that can happen in your gut that create the physical sensations of fear or anxiety in your body. And then your brain feels those signals and says, okay, we're in danger. And then starts processing all of the things going on in life to see where that danger is coming from. And we'll just assign it to something. So if you're feeling anxiety over your relationship or your social interactions or your work, it might be because you're having physical sensations of anxiety and your brain's just trying to connect it to something to make it make sense. When it doesn't have anything to do with social anxiety, it's just that your gut microbiome might be messed up or you're reacting to the sugar that you just ate or something of that nature. So I'm really, really glad to hear. Obviously, that's a big <laughs> tangent topic for me, but I'm really glad to hear that you approach your clients that way. And I just wanted to kind of validate that there are like physical, scientific, like real effects happening there that are creating those relationships. Absolutely. There's just simply no way around that. And to share and, and add on a little bit more to that. Uh, at some point, I wanted to get into um, to vegan. And something that I had to do is to instruct myself in how to eat vegan, because people think of like, just eat a salad and that's it. But no, there's so many nutrients that your body and your mind need in order to function. The yeah. importance of uh, um, iodine and all of that and, and protein and, and how it does help your brain to function on a daily basis. And people are just simply not aware of it. And yeah. it's, it, this is something that I tell my clients often that you want to make sure that you are providing your basic needs because these are the physiological ones. Everything else can be taken care of. However, it's very hard to tell whether if you're having anxiety or if you're having uh, insomnia. It can be very much related to what you eat. One of the things that I do go over with my clients whenever they have sleeping issues is what do you eat before you go to bed? And how how um, how soon did you eat something and then just like go to bed? Because it, it's so connected and so related to everything and to our mood. And automatically we feel an emotion and we think it's psychologically but it can be very much it, what you're yeah, eating. Absolutely. And that's one reason why I really try to steer people away from extremely restrictive diets, like, like a vegan diet or a low fat diet, because there are things that your body needs that are very, very difficult, if not impossible yeah. to get from diets like that. And over time, they're going to create deficiencies that can seriously affect the way that your, your mind and your brain work yeah. in addition to other parts of your body. So absolutely. Yeah. I with all respect, I know that some people have been able to work perfectly well with the vegan diet and other people with the keto, but at least for me, my experience was I wasn't able to function completely. So I have to alter. And now I created my own diet, which works for me because of my own particular needs and my particular health and my body and my mind, and I can feel it in everywhere. So that's beautiful. I love that. That's actually what I do with my clients. So that's a good segue into um, what I do and, and how I got there, I guess. Um, because what I do with my clients is really underneath everything. I, I specialize in gut health, but the, the through line to everything I do with my clients is helping them learn how to find that diet that feels good in their body and works well for them. So um, it's a term called bioindividuality. So the, this perfect diet that you found for yourself 
may not feel very good in my body. It might not be the right diet for my body. And then it's not going to be the right diet for Maria's body over here. So learning how to tune into what your body needs and figure out what helps you function best is really where the magic is. And that's what I help help my clients um, work through. Perfect. Yes. I think we have been living in a society that has so much labels into what are you? Um, are, are you a vegan? Are you a vegetarian? Are you paleo or a keto? And sometimes those boxes just take so much away opportunities for us to really make sure that we are giving our bodies what they need in a psychological and a physical way because we just stick to this. But if I am not this, we attach identities to those things that in reality just gets in the way. And uh, I'm glad that to hear that you're looking to the overall of the benefit of the client individually, not necessarily just do this one diet will just fit everything because it's not how we are. We're just so complex. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I didn't, um, I didn't start out knowing that though. So um, I, I often joke that I never thought that this would be the passion that I found in my life because when I was growing up, my three squares all came in a box like <laughs> with craft on the label or something. So I grew up, um, you know, just eating typical processed foods in the eighties and nineties. And, um, when I was a teenager and in my twenties, I just kind of lived off of fast food and I didn't have a very good diet. I didn't have a very healthy lifestyle. I didn't grow up around that kind of environment. Um, it didn't seem to really matter very much. And I didn't start learning anything about it until I had my child. I had my son and I realized I have, I like made this human and I needed to figure out how to like keep it alive. So it gives you a different perspective, right? <laughs> right, right. So I started um, trying to learn what healthy eating actually was and how to raise him in a healthy way. I always um, struggled with my weight and with body image issues. And it's created a lot of emotional baggage for me over the years and wasted a lot of energy. And I just, I didn't want that for him. So I wanted to figure out how to raise him, how to start him off well and raise him well so that he wouldn't have those kinds of struggles with his body. Um, And along the way, I accidentally discovered how magical eating like real clean food can be on like every aspect of your health. It was not even the direction I was headed, but I kind of noticed that once I got our diets changed off of processed foods and fast foods onto just clean, um, real food, um, my son, his asthma that they had diagnosed him with went away, um, headaches, sinus problems, um, seasonal colds and flus, PMS, like all of these things that just were normal that we just assume are normal. They just went away. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is magic. I don't know why nobody knows about this. And, you know, it, it was, it was just this huge epiphany for me. Um, and I just realized that I was so passionate about sharing that truth with people that we don't have to feel like crap every day. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And and I hear you and my husband and I try very hard to just to keep a healthy diet. We started, I would say, over the past 
three to five years to be more mindful about what do we put into our bodies and also how it impacts everything, including our, our, our ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's just something that you can feel like the clarity in your mind and the, in your body. And even when you try and when you have your sheet day, you can feel the difference in your body. Like, wow, I ate something that I'm not no longer used to. And I can feel it in my gut. Just yeah. how I, I, pay, I pay the price. So that also helps us. You know what? No, it's not worth it because, and, and it's just your body saying, yeah, this is the true reflection of the food that you're eating. Yeah, and, and it changes our mood. It, it's so connected with everything. So, tell me a little bit more about why do you think we have like so many different diets? Like, what, 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 what are people trying just to pursue things that, on the long term, they don't help? Because I see this in so many. It's just so integrated that diet culture. We're we're pursuing things. And just to give you an example to elaborate on the question, I have had people come uh, approach my husband and I to ask us like, what is it that you do to to keep healthy and in shape? And we're like, we eat healthy and we work out, but eating is actually even more important that workout is important, but the food is just like so much more. It's just, it's what's gonna allow you to also work out. So what do you think it's going on in our society? And why is it so hard for people just to break from that diet culture? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I think that there are a couple of different things going on. There's a couple of different ways to answer that. So um, one answer is the obvious one is that the weight loss industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. There's just a lot of money to be made in the fact that most of us are overweight and want to lose weight or think that we are overweight and want to lose weight or want to get bigger muscles or whatever. So there's just a lot of money to be made there. And some people are just creating legitimate businesses out of that because it's a good business model and they want people to be healthier. Some people are exploiting that and just getting quick, you know, money-making scams on their supplement line or whatever. Um, But you can't, you can't fight that much money, you know? So that's part of it. They need you to believe that you're not okay in order for you to spend money on their product to make you okay. Um, and that is powerful. So that is a big, a big thing that's going on. And then tied connected to that is like the fashion and, um, celebrity industry as well that are creating these certain images of beauty and then convincing us all that that's what we think is beautiful and that we're all ugly and we need to be beautiful like that or no one will love us so it all kind of ties together if we don't look like kim kardashian there's something wrong with us and we'll never be loved so we have to get this new supplement or whatever in order to look like kim kardashian look it becomes like core beliefs that are like cemented yeah down it um it it gets very pervasive and it's not something that we're consciously aware of. We all like to think that we're mentally stronger than that, more resilient and and can't be so easily manipulated. But truly, these companies spend a lot of money and they employ psychologists who know exactly how our brains work and they get you at a very young age. So from very, very early on, most of our core beliefs 
um, since you mentioned that term, most of the our operating systems, the programming in our brains was created before we were seven years old. So we didn't know then to resist the images we were being seen or the um, comments that our moms made about their figure or, you know, we don't, we don't know back then we're just very impressionable and we pick up everything around us. And that's one of the things that we pick up. So that's one reason. Another reason is that we just have, we live in such a time of abundance and growth that things are so available to us that have never been available before. And like, we're the only living creatures on the planet that don't know how to feed ourselves. Like everything else on the planet just eats when it needs to, what it needs to, processes it and moves on. It's not what their lives revolve around, but we've built this culture that is just so abundant and so complicated that we have our lives built around food. Our, our celebrations are around food. Our morning is around food. Our holidays are around food. Our schedules are our food has been shifted to our schedules and the food that we're um, offered has been chemically engineered to be so hyper palatable, so like flavorful and addictive that we were powerless almost to this system. So we've really in the beautiful abundance of like modern technology and modern society, we've really overcomplicated this, this thing for ourselves. So we're confused. And most of us want to do right. We just don't know what that is anymore because we have every, all the experts are telling us different things, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, I always talk to my clients about the power of the word. And one time I was listening, I don't remember who I was listening to, but it was a video, someone in the internet talking about the importance of not saying or identifying yourself as a foodie. And I used to always say that. I used to always say, I'm a foodie, I'm a foodie. Because this person was saying, once you say that, then food controls you. You pursue wanting to satisfy that dopamine release from getting that good food, the sugar, the salts, that the processed food. Because as you said, they're just like so influenced. They're chemically altered to, to release dopamine, which, which is a reward system wanting for us to get, guess what? Go back to eating that same food. And we, and by by understanding our brains, and also by even saying that we're making a binding contract with, I love food, so therefore this is who I am. So after that, I don't know why I just like started reflecting, and I'm like, yeah, I always say that I'm a foodie, I'm a foodie, but however, I don't want food to control me. So I use the correct language, and the I I want to make sure that yes, I can enjoy food, but not to a point that food controls me and then I'm just like eating because I, I need to have that satisfaction I'm just like really want to make sure that I eat to just satisfy my physiological needs and that's it and not all the way around yeah and that's um that's a good point and it, it brings up another phenomenon that's kind of contributing to this diet culture and and that's that you know all of these different like diet theories they're created because someone learned some things or or found a way that feels really good for them and they want to share it with other people, but then they create these like community around it. So it becomes an identity. If you're a CrossFitter, that's a tight community. That's a strong identity. If you're a vegan, that's a very like morally superior identity than you have because you're you're really doing something very hard and and um counterculture to 
to really live true to your values and integrity. And it feels good to do that. But then you connect with other people who have done that and, and you're kind of outside of the norm. So you have to band together and, and then it becomes your identity. And, yeah. and same thing, if you're keto or carnivore, then you're, again, you're very counterculture, you're outside of the norm and you're doing something very hard and very different in order to, you know, live in a way that feels the best to you. And so we create these identities, these dogmas around these diets, and we get so into that community and that identity. A lot of times we forget to listen to our bodies when they say, okay, well, that was really good for a reset, but now I'm starting to miss some things and I need something else. Um, And we don't, you know, we fight that. There's stories all the time about vegetarians and vegans who for years lived that lifestyle. And then all of a sudden they started obsessively thinking and dreaming about meat and they fight it because that's not who they are. They don't eat meat. That's their body saying, Hey, I need this now. And so we don't really like, listen. How do you help people to, because I imagine that this is a very important part. uh, How do you help people to get connected and to listen to their bodies? Um, There's a process that, that we take people through in our program Um, And it starts first off with just becoming aware of certain things and shifting your mindset about certain things. So one of the first rules that we make with people, one of the first arrangements that we make with people is that we're not, we don't play the shame game anymore. So we explain the difference uh, between guilt and shame, sort of how Brene Brown does like guilt is I've done something wrong. Shame is I am wrong. And there's a lot of shame wrapped up around our bodies and how we're eating. And a lot of us, um, women especially, but men are not immune to this, especially more and more men are falling victim to diet culture and beauty standards as well, our attractiveness standards. Um, so it's no longer just a woman's issue, but oh, we're taught from very, yeah, well, and like on your social worker, so you probably are even more in tune to stuff like that than I am, but we're taught very early on a lot of times that our bodies are wrong, that they need to change. They need to be sculpted. They need to be controlled. We fight with them. We battle the bulge. We fight cancer. Like we're always battling our bodies. And as women, so many of us grow up always thinking that our bodies don't look right, that they're not the right shape. They're not growing right. They need to be changed. That food is our enemy. We have to count our calories. We have to avoid this and that and the other. We have to feel bad when we eat. We have to earn our good food in the gym. And so really bringing awareness to that mentality and and saying, okay, the new rules are we don't play that game for the next 12 weeks um, is the first step that we take people through. You are not allowed to feel shame over your choices anymore. Every bite that you take is an experiment. So that's the second shift that we make is like, we are now experimenting to find what works and feels good in your body. So if you're, if you don't like, if you recognize that fast food isn't good for you, that's fine. But if you run through Taco Bell out of exhaustion, desperation, craving, whatever, you're not going to feel shame and guilt over that. You're not going to feel like a failure. You're going to say, okay, I'm going to eat this bean burrito. And then I'm going to pay attention to how it feels in my body. Like you said, when you start to realize how good you can feel when you do eat food, that's less than ideal. It just, you notice it's not worth it anymore. So it's not about 
forcing yourself to give things up. It's about getting your body to the point where it feels good. Most people don't know how bad they feel until they see what feeling mm-hmm. good feels like. Yeah. And then, and then you notice the things that make you feel bad. So you can eat bean burritos all day long if you want, like from Taco Bell, not made from home where they're like more nourishing. But if you go to Taco Bell and eat, you know, whatever you're getting at Taco Bell, and then it feels gross inside, you're going to notice that. So you don't have to feel guilty and shame yourself into different choices. You just notice, hey, that wasn't worth it. Or maybe it was worth it. Maybe you're like, oh, that was delicious. I hit the spot. Now I'm good to go, you know? So that's um, that's the first kind of step that we take with people is shifting the game that we're playing. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. What are the most common objectives that you hear from people whenever you start working with them? Uh, usually we don't hear conscious objections so much because most people are there because they want change. They feel exhausted by all of the things they've tried and haven't worked in their lives. And they're ready to, to know what that answer is for themselves, but they're often surprised by, or don't realize how applicable some of these things are to them. Most of us think that we are doing much better than we are in our mindset and in our habits. Um, they always tell me I, I, I already eat healthy and I still can't lose weight or I still feel terrible um, until we start really like paying attention to what those habits are and paying attention to what those, you know, most, most people, they don't believe they have limiting beliefs. They don't believe they have like, you know, poor mindset or, or uh, negative associations. Some people are very, very aware of their negative relationship with food and themselves, but some people don't notice. It's just, it's just normal until we bring awareness to it. And then they're like, oh, holy crap. I actually don't love myself. I just realized that, or, you know, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that every time I'm about to eat a dessert, I berate myself. Like they don't, they don't even notice because it's so normal. So I would say more than objections, it's, it's just that like illusion that we see. Yeah. I love the way that you, that you put it, because I think this is something that it's very present in many fields, even more when it comes to food and uh, unhealthy habits. But I've seen with my clients is that we don't prepare ourselves for resistance and resistance will always come not necessarily in a verbal, clear objection. Like, I don't want to do that. Not necessarily, but I've seen it in this way with my clients. They say, oh, I forgot, or um, I just didn't have time, but I'm just, or I told myself that I was just going to do it the next day and I forgot then. And we work through this. I use the examples of New Year's resolutions is like one of the best because how many people do New Year's resolutions? And research shows that like 80% don't make it past half January because we don't prepare ourselves for this. We don't prepare ourselves for our bodies to fight against anything that they're not used to because we're habitual creatures. And if, like you said, we have created a habit of just eating in a certain way, we're not going to be as aware or attentive to the things that we are doing on a daily basis that are not healthy. And um, just as we were talking offline, I have had clients that they want to, they're working with their self-image and a lot to do. Whenever I hear someone come and saying that they have low self-esteem, I do, it says, okay, so what is it that you're doing to take care of yourself, working out, like your eating diet, your habits, sorry. 
And it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to eat healthier, but they will come into our sessions with a grande Starbucks smoothie or slushy or frappuccino caramel, uh, which is, I think, one of those that has, but it's just that they're not aware of that. And while they talk about wanting to eat healthier, they're drinking that. So it's just kind of like that awareness that it's so crucial and also to raise awareness about resistance to prepare them and to give them a, a heads up. Yeah, I like going to get. I like uh, I like that you brought up that term resistance because I think that's one of the main um, the main important reasons why even if you have a lot of information and even if you have a lot of willpower, it's important to work with a coach or a therapist because we don't recognize resistance when it comes up. Like we hear it and we are always taught like, okay, let's anticipate, you know, where things are going to get complicated. Let's anticipate our resistance. Let's anticipate the problems and the barriers that are going to come up and make a plan for it. But then when they come up, we validate them. We don't recognize that that's what that is. Like, that's what it looks like. It's not going to be like your brain isn't going to go, oh, no, I'm going to throw resistance at you right now. Your brain is going to say, oh, I think I'm coming down with something. Maybe we should take it easy today and not go to the gym. Or, oh, I'm really, really late, but I've been doing well all week. So I'm just going to do it this time. Or, you know what? I eat really, really healthy. I deserve this Starbucks. It's not that bad. Yes. It's just one drink. It's just one 30 ounce cup of sugar. <laughs> it is that bad, you know, but yeah. we validate the reasons that we see in our lives and we don't recognize those as resistance or like with my son, he's starting a new job. It's outside of his comfort zone and he keeps getting scared, but he doesn't tell me I'm feeling fear because we hear all the time in the self-development area about conquering fear and pushing past fear. He doesn't use the word fear. He says, I feel overwhelmed and sad and alone and all of these other emotions that are very like they're important emotions to validate experiencing but what it all boils down to is he's feeling fear so sometimes it's really you know it's hard because we don't recognize that resistance for what it is when it pops up so when you work with a professional that's what was, my point I was getting to when you work with a professional they can help you call they can call you out on your bs you know yes yes how long would you say that you have seen uh, an approximate time that may take a person to abandon old habits and create a new one when it comes to eating habits? How long would you see it could take that process? Um, according to the literature, the research, I've heard different uh, different estimates. I've heard 21 days, I've heard 90 days, or I've heard much longer, um, I've heard much Last usually by the people that are trying to sell you like a seven day quick fix. Um, I have gotten my business partner. And I have settled on a, on a point of asking for a 12 month commitment, not 12 months, sorry, 12 weeks, a three month commitment up front because we have a, a six week course, but we find that there's a lot packed into that course. And if people keep up for the whole six weeks, they like, it's like a sprint and then they're like, okay, I made it. And then like all the things fall away and they can't keep one thing maybe. But, um, so I think three months is a really, I also, I have a friend who's, um, really, really into fitness and weightlifting. And she always tells me you need to do something consistently for 12 weeks 
like get a routine and do it for 12 weeks. Don't change anything. Don't try to improve anything. Don't switch it up. Just pick a very simple gym routine and go for 12 weeks consistently before you even touch a thing um, in order to get any of that momentum and results and, and things like that. So I think if we're looking for like a rule of thumb, I would say trying to do something consistently for three months is probably a good, a good one. Yeah. And the reason I ask is very important because it can be very hard to do that for three months on your own. It can be very hard. You can miss so many signs. You can miss so many things that are important to have someone to do it with you to highlight those things, to have that vantage point. In psychology, there uh, it's believed that in 21 days, it takes 21 days to your brain to accept a new habit. However, what people don't take into consideration is that, let's say that if I am 40 years old and I have been eating junk food, fast food, unhealthy for 40 years, 21 days is just not gonna be enough. Yeah. Every person is different. Every person is different, right? But it's just kind of like to see it from that perspective. How many years have I added information in my storage unit about how to eat versus how much time have I spent doing this work? So it's crucial. that That's the importance of having someone to guide you through it. Yeah. And I can see it. A I lot agree. of times people see that they go online and hey, I love it. I love this this new society that they are like all go and, and go for the internet and, and they're like very self-informed. That's amazing. However, information is just not enough because in order for change to be cemented and to be the sealant to a new habit is action and it's consistency. And you have to have not only the information, which is crucial, but you also have to incorporate actions that go along with that that sometimes your brain may have difficulties relating one to the other so i'm not sure if you have seen this in your work oh, for sure yeah i just in myself i i get shiny object syndrome i get impatient i think that's those are traits that we've built into our our brains we've rewired our brains with the technological culture that we have now that we do we want immediate results we get impatient and i do the same thing after like three four weeks I'm like, this isn't working. I need to make it better. I need to, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing or I need to try this or I should add that or whatever. I, I am such a huge, um, so guilty of that. I usually make it, I think I've pushed myself into better discipline to where I usually make it about seven weeks out of the 12 before I fall off for one reason or another. And that's after working for a while on consistency. I think four to five weeks used to be a stretch for me. So, and that's me knowing all of this stuff. So I absolutely agree with you that it's important to have someone keep you in line and remind you it it, it is working or it hasn't been enough time to see if it's working. We need to keep, stay the course. We need to just keep doing what we're doing and not change it and not give up and not switch it up and not add things. Just keep doing what we're doing for a little bit longer because I, I heard once that um, when you break up with someone that that like heartbreak lasts at least half the time that you were together. So if you're with someone a year, it's going to take you six months to get over them. 
Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but I think that if you apply that sort of logic to what you were just saying, like I've been eating this way for 40 years, or I've been eating this way for 20 years, my whole adult life or whatever, it's not going to change overnight. It's not going to change in three weeks. You have to keep taking the actions day after day because what we're doing is rewiring our brains, right? We're making new connections between different neurons so that it becomes automatic. And it's not forever that it's this hard, but we do have to get those new connections made. We have to rewire, reprogram ourselves, and that can take time. Yeah, and, and not to get into the nitty-gritty of the neurological pathways in the brain, but the reality is that food releases dopamine, depending on the type of food that we eat. And that itself is a whole different topic because sometimes people have developed addictions to specific types of food, which can make it a little more difficult for people just to create, to change habits. And not necessarily only with food, but with so many other things. Once you your brain has learned something, it's learned, it's there, it's a pathway that you have made to, you have made sure that it's wide and available for you. So creating new pathways, that doesn't mean that your brain will not drop a thought like, why don't you just eat this today? Because I go through all of that. But it's just how to we reinforce that other half, that other pathway and say instead, you know what? I'm just gonna grab a food, a fruit instead of a donut, right? At work, sometimes when they bring so much food and you're like, no, let me just go ahead. And so it, that's what we wanna do, not to feel that I will no longer crave certain things in life, it can be food or anything else, but I will have the strength enough, but we have to work towards that pathway. Yeah. And another, um, another thing that I work with re, um, with, uh, just restructuring with my clients is, is that language that we use. It's not, I can't have the donut because as soon as you say you can't, some of us are just wired to instantly refuse to be like have boundaries put on us and then we just have to have the donut but you can you're a grown adult you can have the donut you are choosing something different you are choosing you could choose that three seconds of pleasure in your mouth and dopamine hit that's gonna just then crash and leave you wanting more if it's worth it do it but you could choose to feel much more stable energy and not have sticky sugar mouth after. And, you know, you could choose to accomplish your goals in the gym or, you know, whatever the case is. So don't tell yourself you can't do something. Just remind yourself that you're making a choice. You're making a different choice. You're making a choice that's more um, aligned with the things that you want more, not the things that you want now. So that's a really big one with people is just shifting that mindset of, um, of the language that we use of how we're looking at a diet, um, as like, you know, diets, you're not, we're not going for short term. We're not going for quick fix. We're not going for, I can't, we're not going for, oh, you're my coach. You won't let me like, we're not doing that. I'm not your mother, you know? Um, so that's really, I think super empowering for people in, and liking the choices that they're making, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. People, um, and the psychological effect of making a choice for yourself and even more if it's a healthy decision, it's just built so much confidence. 
I was able to do this. I, I was able to have a donut if I wanted it to, but I'm choosing a fruit instead. So, and that, that what, what that does to yourself, image to yourself, confidence is just beyond that. Not only it, it benefits your physical health, but also your, your straining, your psychological, emotional brain. Yeah. And it goes back to that identity that you were talking about before, because we do create identities and what we need to do because we have that drive for that need for identity is we have to adopt a new identity. And I see this a lot with our clients and it's um, one of the like uh, later stages of this process is building that new identity. So whether it's illness or um, habit or obesity or whatever it is, you have an identity about yourself. Um, you might identify as someone who um, you might say like, oh, I have fibromyalgia and this, that, or you might say, I'm, um, I'm, I'm just, I'm sick. I can't eat anything. It makes my stomach hurt. I'm, you know, whatever. Or you might have this identity of being overweight, or you might have this identity of someone who loves donuts or who's a foodie, right? When you shift that identity, um, and I play this game with myself all the time. It's rather fun. I used to hate running, and I always had this, I'm not a runner. And even after I started running and I'm still not a runner, you know, I jog, but even after I started running, like doing couch to 5k and stuff like that, I'm always like, oh, I'm not a runner, but I just, I want to be able to do it. So I do it. I'm not a runner, but I still hate it, but I do it. Cause I want to, you know, I just want that baseline, like fitness. It's one of a metric I decided was yeah. like a good one to have. Right. And then I finally just decided like, wait a second, I am that guy. <laughs> Like I am like, I just, I was on a, a long hike last weekend and I just jogged for a few miles out of it. Cause we were on a, on a road. I was like, wait a second. I am, I am that person now. I need to stop saying I'm not the kind of person who does that because here I am doing it by choice. I am that kind of person. So we really need to be uh, aware for when we can make that shift too. Instead of saying like, I love donuts, but I'm going to choose this apple because I have to. We need to say like, hey, I'm the person that chooses an apple over a donut. And I love that because that makes me feel good. Yeah. And then you have this new identity that starts to be created inside you. And you start to envision yourself as a person who makes healthy choices and a person who recognizes how good they can feel in their body and a person who prioritizes health over, you know, yeah socializing with donuts or whatever. And it makes it so much easier and it makes it so much more pleasurable. You get those dopamine hits from eating the apple instead. And it's really just a lot about the games that we play in our head, yes, essentially. Yes, absolutely. What would you say to, um, what would you say if to start closing out, what would you say that are the three first steps that people can start to making change in your lives, to having healthier gut health. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so if, um, if what you're trying to do is just start having a healthier gut, which I think is what you should do, frankly, um, I would say that a lot of the things that we've talked about, just bringing awareness to your mindset is, is important. So without even having to make any changes, I think it's just important to start noticing, reading the labels of what you're eating, paying attention to the thoughts that are in your head, 
Um, and I'll just throw in here before we like totally wrap up because there was another topic we wanted to touch on and we didn't get to yet, which was subjective versus objective reality. Yes. yes. Um, so this kind of plays a role in what I'm saying right now, but there's a difference between like reality and it recently without getting into politics, politics, we've recently had a lot of debate over what is fact and what is not fact and whether facts can be not real or real. Um, and I just want to point out that there, there are a lot of different realities and reality is not unchangeable. So when you have fake news, sometimes the thoughts in your head are fake news and you're, oh, reality- I love that. <laughs> yeah, it, and so, so there's subjective and objective, objective reality. That's the fact that is the no opinion, no emotion, no interpretation. That is the, um, this is a desk. This is a computer. Like that's objective reality. I ate a donut. That's objective reality. That happened. There was a donut. I ate it. That's objective reality. Subjective reality is what most of us are operating under and treating as fact. Subjective reality is I'm a fat pig who's lazy and can't ever make good choices because I ate a donut. That's not real. That's the way that I'm interpreting the objective fact that I ate a donut. That doesn't make it real. I ate a donut does not mean I'm a fat pig, right? So if you just become aware of when you're treating subjective reality as if it's fact, I think that goes a long way in whatever goals you're trying to make. So just being aware that any of the value that you're attaching to something, whether good or bad value, like I have a dollar, I could look at that and say, oh my gosh, I'm rich. I could look at it and say, oh my gosh, I'm poor. But neither of those is reality. The reality is I have a $1, one US dollar in my hand. I read somewhere, someone said that you should never use the words only or um, just when it comes to money, because money is money. Any value you place on it is in, is in your mind. So mm-hmm. food is the same way. Gym, workouts, choices, it's all the same thing. Any value you place, that's all of the programming and beliefs and constructs and stuff in your head coming forth. And yeah. it's not- We're full yeah. of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. so- enough rambling on that one, but I would say that that's the first step is just being aware of what's happening in your head and when you're treating subjective reality as fact, because we do, we all do that. And we it, do, we do. And yeah, I, I use this and, and I, I get so excited here and you talk about this because it feels so good to have another human being also use a similar analogy in their work, because I use this so much with my clients so much. And, um, Whenever I meet with them, for example, I have a lamp and I tell them, okay, so would you agree with me that this is a lamp? And they will go like, yes. And I'm like, okay, is this the, is this the most beautiful lamp in the world? They will go like, eh, but what if I think that it is? And they're yeah. like, well, that's your opinion. Then that's objective. Exactly. And yeah. we feel, we, we do that with absolutely everything, including with our image about ourselves and others. And it plays a huge role in how do we feel and emotions are the key ingredient to action. They motivate us to do something about it. 
So if you don't feel good about your yourself, guess what? You're not going to feel good about making a decision about what to eat or what or what to do in terms of exercise because you don't have a self-image. So it's there's so much correlation with what we think and the definitions that we give. However, we don't give ourselves permission to challenge that and yeah. to see it as something that is not true. I don't have to believe and abide by that. And I recur and suggest the clients to start with compassion. Be compassionate about yourself with yourself. And that compassion will hopefully allow room to question the truth of what you're telling yourself, the story that you're telling yourself in your head. Yeah, I just recently told a client, you can't take care of something as much as you're choosing to do without starting to feel affection for it. So as the very pro, if you struggle with, with loving yourself and having self-worth, the process of choosing to nurture your body is going to innately start making you feel love for yourself because you cannot care for something that much without starting to care for it, care about it, you know? Um, so yeah, I would say that's the first thing is pay attention to what's happening in your head. Another way to think about the subjective objective with the lamp example is um, this lamp costs $50. Is that a valuable lamp? Well, if you make $20,000 a year, heck yeah, it is. It's an expensive lamp anyway. If you make $20 million a year, no, it's not. <laughs> right. If it was your grandmother's lamp, maybe it is valuable regardless of how much it costs. So there's, it's all, that's all subjective. The fact is it's a lamp and it costs 50 US dollars. That's the only thing that's the fact, right? So pay attention to your thoughts. The second thing is pay attention to what you're actually eating and drinking, like every single thing. Track it if that is helpful to you. I Tracking is helpful to most people just because it does make you aware of what you're eating or drinking. Now, if you, I do want to add this caveat, if you're struggling with um, some unhealthy relationships with food and eating disorders, tracking your food might be det detrimental to that healing process. And if that is you, then I want you to just have the, to have the awareness to choose that that's not healthy for you. Um, but for most of us, especially if you've never done it before, tracking what you eat and drink, everything, even your Starbucks can be very enlightening. But at the very least, I want you to read your food labels just look at them. You don't have to change anything. Just look at them. Just start paying attention. And then you can start thinking, is this probably good for my gut or bad for my gut? If you don't know, you need to follow me because we can't get into that here. But um, so this, the second of the three tips I would say is just pay attention to what you're eating, read your food labels. And then the third one I would say is just pick one thing. When I started out, I was um, young, completely ignorant to this stuff. I was a single mom. I was on welfare. Like I did not have resources or guidance or this was even like when the internet was new. So I couldn't even just hop on Google and ask Google or scan things in the grocery store on my app, on my phone. I had to like do the, like click the button four times to get an S on a text message, you know? Um, but I just picked one thing as I was learning, I got very overwhelmed with all the stuff I was learning. So I just picked that I wasn't going to eat anything with high fructose corn syrup anymore. That was the first thing I picked. You could pick whatever you want. You could choose um, red dye 40 because that is well-documented to have effects on your brain function. So you could pick that one. You could pick artificial sweetener, whatever it is. Just pick one thing. Just pick one thing and make that change. 
And then as that gets comfortable, you can pick another thing. You don't have to make all the changes at once. Yeah. And this so, person is building confidence in themselves. Yeah. By accomplishing those small steps. Yeah. I've seen that in my line of work. Sometimes we start big, which is, yeah, that's, that would be amazing if you start big and are able to accomplish that goal. But if you don't, it will lead to frustration and it will solidify any self-image of can't do mindset. Yep. That's what my son does. Every time he wants to make changes, he's like, all right, I'm going to work out for an hour every day and not eat this and go to sleep at this time and stay off my phone. And like all these things all at once. Yeah. And all that does is set him up for failure, which reinforces his self-image that he's a failure and he can't yes. do anything. Mm -hmm. So we, we do that to ourselves because it's caught. I tell him all the time, it's a cop out. It doesn't feel like you're doing it on purpose because it feels terrible, but to your brain, it feels safer than changing because brains do not like change. Like you said, yes. they, they keep us safe and safe yes. means exactly what we did yesterday that kept us alive is the same thing we're going to do today. Yes. Brains will do anything they can do to avoid change. That so persistence, Brian, is just so incredible. Yeah. So uh, that would be my three tips. I would say pay attention to what, to your thoughts, pay attention to yeah. your food, and then just pick one thing to start with. So to close out with this question before you provide us with all of your information on how to contact you. I always um, like to use a signature question. And if you were to choose one brief statement to promote awareness about gut health, what will that like in a quote or like what will that brief message be to the world about the importance of gut health? Importance of gut health. Um, so one thing my business partner and I always say, and it's not the flashiest or sexiest statement, but we just, we always just say all roads lead to the gut. And honestly, like that's just about as true and simple as you can get. Mm -hmm. Every single system in your body is tied back to your gut health. If your gut is off, nothing else in your body can function right for very long. Yeah. So I would say all roads lead to the gut. Um, one statement that I like to make on podcasts, particularly when I'm talking to executives or entrepreneurs is your health is your greatest asset. So stop trying to delegate it. Um, and that goes back to my mission in life, which is to empower people to really be the owners of their own health, because that was probably the main thing that I got out of this journey is just, I'm not, I don't feel powerless anymore when it comes to how I feel and how I function. I know that if something's off, I can probably figure out what it is and change it. I don't feel like I have to depend on someone in a white coat that I have to pay them to tell me how to be healthy or how to function. I don't feel like I have to be afraid every November through February as everybody's worried about getting sick. I'm not. I don't feel like I have to be scared of my food. Life changing. Yeah, it's it's just, it's amazing to not be afraid of everything. I don't walk around with hand sanitizer in my purse and I don't, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, yeah. I don't feel like anybody else is better positioned to, to say what I need than me. And that I feel like it allows me a freedom that every human being deserves to have. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I can see the passion and, and the work you do. And I appreciate it because it's so important. It's so needed. So thank you so much. Um, how can we find you? How can people learn a little more about you? Where to contact you if they wanted to work with you? Yeah, so um, you can follow me on any of the 
basic things just with my name. My website, and I'll ask you to put these links in your show notes. Um, my website is nourishtoamplify.com. And I just want to offer your listeners, if you feel like you want to know more or want to talk about your particular situation and maybe what first step you should try, I, I want to offer your listeners a free call. Um, no strings attached. Just you can schedule a call with me and we'll just talk through what you're going through. Um, and I have a scheduling link I sent you that maybe you could put in the show notes. For Absolutely. Us. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. And I guess we'll keep in touch. Yeah, absolutely. I had a great time. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help support the podcast, please don't forget to hit subscribe, share it with others, post it about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.